I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) And we love to watch. We love to watch says they're all going to laugh at you. Can't you see it in my eyes? Sandler? Uh, no, it's doing uh, Margaret in the original movie. It's funny that the the thing I most identify they're all going to laugh at you is that uh, skit on Adam Sandler back when he used to do comedy CDs in the 90s where the, all, the only thing the mom says is, they're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that really, that really uh, ruined they're all going to laugh at you for me. I think that's the name of that album, too. It is. Um, Carrie, welcome back. Hi, thank you. On our you. show. The Four Timers Club. Yay. So close to five. So and close she has to five. weirdly become a producer for the show this month. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. You get you get an EP credit, I think. Oh, um, excellent. Yeah, thank you so much for helping to organize this month. Oh my pleasure. Oh, it was a blast. So fun. And yeah, and you're you're our last guest. You're wrapping up the month, which is crazy because for us, it's only the second week of October, but I have to go on a dumb business trip for work. Uh, so we are <laughs> we we are already at the end of our our, our journey. But um, before we get into that, we are uh, where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We cover uh, four movies around a similar theme each month, and if we remember, we compare and contrast them. And this month is our uh, ladies. Fright Night Month, which uh, Carrie helped us organize. It is our working with uh, the members of a spinoff group from the film group that we're a part of, The Dissolve, called Ladies Who Dissolve. And they uh, picked movies they wanted to come on our show and talk about. And also the the guests were – the guests basically brought movies to us. Um, so uh, you'd think after f- three of these I'd be better at this, but I am not good at explaining anything. Uh, but I will let <laughs> – Carrie, jump in and uh, introduce yourself and then tell us uh, what movie you picked and why you wanted to come on our show and talk about it. Hi, um, I'm Carrie. I uh, work in documentary and I'm uh, very excited to have helped put together this month. I brought on um, the 2013 Kimberly Pierce remake, reimagining, I'm not sure how you want to call it, adaptation of Carrie. Because I really like this film a whole lot, and I don't get many opportunities to talk about it, because people kind of hate it, and I'm not really (laughs) sure why, because I think it's kind of amazing. So yeah, I thought that this might be a really good opportunity to uh, talk about this film that is kind of uh, brushed to the side a lot of the time. Yeah, and it was perfect for me because I had it on my Spooktober list last year. It was just something I didn't get to. So it was 
uh, I I bought it at one of those fun like digital movie sales that they had around Halloween last year. So it was already on my my list this year. I was excited to see it. I had heard. I feel like it was one of those movies where I heard nothing but bad things initially from critics. Who I always, when it comes to horror movies or remakes, I take with a probably a good pound of salt because those are the exact type of movies that. Even like two weeks later, you'll start hearing from people going, actually, that's really good because uh, a lot of the the mainstream criticism you hear doesn't really uh, respond well to those – either the subgenre of horror movies or uh, even more specifically remakes. And then I feel like I started to hear enough good stuff about it in various places that I thought it was worth, you know, kind of blind buying and and, and watching. So, uh, it was it was – serendipitous from that uh from that perspective but i as we'll talk about ended up really liking it and as we'll also end up talking about in the episode proper uh i liked it even more if i put the alternate ending at the end yes yep the alternate ending makes a big difference (laughs) there's an alternate ending yes this is where you find out that peter doesn't remember things (laughs) very well We just have so much going on, guys. You have to treat me like I'm a child. Tell me things three times. I'll tell you what. It's two minutes. We do take a uh, little bathroom break in between our kind of opening segment. Peter, mm-hmm. during that bathroom break, sit on the toilet for your pee. <laughs> watch watch the two minutes. It's it's in your Skype chat. <laughs> Wasn't it funny that you told me to sit while I pee? Is that you gave me such specific instructions. <laughs> have a USB charger ready. <laughs> This was a weird digression. I don't know if it'll make the episode. <laughs> I got it. Watch the Carrie thing while, during our break. Yeah. Got yeah it. Thank you. Yes. It's on, on our break. It's we'll- on the YouTube. Yes. It is. Uh, yes. I really like the – oh, the YouTube. Um, I really like right – Next door to this, the Facebook. Yeah. I like this movie and you said you don't know why people don't like it. I also don't know why people don't like it. Um I usually when I see I got remakes, some guesses. I, 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 I have, I have I a couple make- guesses, but I think that they're wrong. <laughs> I put that same – I put that note basically in my notes. Like, I don't really know why people disliked this so much. Um, I was super excited for this month and it ended up blowing my expectations out of the water. So, thank you, Carrie, so much for, for setting all this up and bringing on all the awesome guests we've had. And also, the movies that we got were all – I've said I said this to, I think, all of our previous guests. The, the selection – was terrific because yeah. I didn't get burned out at all. This is nothing like we've done all month. This is mm-hmm. like the most glossy Hollywoody. Like this is the the most mainstream one we've done all month, and it still felt like refreshing and nice at the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting roster of films that you wouldn't necessarily think to put together, and they all seem to work really well together. So, Carrie, what are you doing? For Spooktober. Have you watched any horror movies yet since the month began? Do you or? have any big plans? Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched a few. Um, I watched uh, Under the Shadow, which I'd never seen Ooh, before and loved. So good. Yeah, that very was good. so good. Um, I really liked that. I watched um, Halloween H2O, which Ooh, was... the one takes place entirely at SeaWorld. I <laughs> thought that was pretty fun. Maybe not good, but very enjoyable. Um, I watched Return of the Living Dead, which is a rewatch. I watched that probably at least once a year. I love that one. It's so Um, fun. It's so much fun. It's my favorite horror comedy. 
It's yeah, like a, um, it's like a party movie. Like, it, yeah. it's a good movie to have. It's like Evil Dead Two or Slither or something. It's like a good movie to have friends over and like have some drinks. And if you miss a little bit, you're fine. Like, yeah, that was exactly it. We had uh, a couple friends from out of town visiting over the weekend. And we're thinking of, like, just a Halloween movie to watch. And we ended up with that one, which they had never seen before. And my husband and I love it. And we just figured, like, oh, this is a this is a decent crowd pleaser for a variety of people. And everyone had a really good time with it. So also, that was my, a good choice. Uh, they're good friends. Maybe my favorite ending of any horror movie. <laughs> oh, God, I love the ending. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my big plan for the month is, uh, so my husband is a big horror movie guy. He loves uh, going to as many of the um, event screenings in October yeah. as possible um, at different theaters. And he made a he he went all out this year and made a spreadsheet of all of the places around New York that are doing like live score screenings of movies. Mm, so there's awesome. like there's a decent handful of them. Um and the one that I'm I'm not going to make it to all of them, but the one I'm definitely going to is uh, Night of the Living Dead. I think Ooh. the day before Halloween, they're doing a live score, and I'm so excited for that. That's awesome. That's so awesome. So, uh, any, any other big plans for, for Spooktober? That's it for me. But uh, we'll, I'll, I'll probably watch some more movies, but uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead is the big one. Yeah, so... Um, well, I can start with what I've watched since the last time we recorded. So it's the it's Thursday, and last time we recorded was Monday of the same week. I mm-hmm. watched nothing. You poor nothing, baby. Nothing new. Uh, be, and the main reason is because I was editing uh, the Babadook episode, which uh, was great. I was so glad to post that uh, yesterday. And Elliot, my seven-month-old, is teething. Uh, and so she has been getting up for two to three hours in the middle of the night. And because I'm going to be out of town all next week, I have volunteered, uh, to get up with, with her this entire week, uh, because my wife will be on similar duty, uh, next week. And so I, uh, after- You're paying your dues. Like, I'm paying my dues. And, uh, after, uh, Monday night's recording, I was up till four in the morning afterwards, uh, so I've been I've been either editing or trying to get sleep back from from that sense. Uh, so yeah, no time for for spooky movies. The spookiest movie of all, which is actual real life. Uh, <laughs> and, oh no! Uh, and uh, being very tired, but uh, I've since recovered from that. But yeah, nothing. I had, I had none to report. Although I think by the time we record next, I would have a ton to report because not only do I have a whole weekend ahead of me that I plan to watch horror movies, but by the time we record next, I'm going to be at Dismember the Alamo. I got a couple long plane rides I plan to watch some '60s horror movies on that I, I don't have other passengers angrily glaring at me. So <laughs> that's the first time I watched Carnival of Souls was on a plane, the way it was originally intended. <laughs> um. But yeah, I I watched movies this week. Um, oh, good for you. <laughs> do you want, do you want, do you want me to apologize at this point or? Um, I got some duds. Do you want me to talk about the duds more? Than yeah, the... really emphasize how much pain it, it it was to you to have to watch bad movies. Uh, Although watched... one of the duds is one of the ones I most recommended to you. So yeah, even though I like it, good. I'm glad I hurt you that way. It's oh, we're talking about the Friday the Thirteenth one. Yeah. We gave the exact same score on Letterboxd. (laughs) 
What? <laughs> like I thought I gave three... four stars. Oh, you I think it's oh yeah. Half. I gave it I gave it like three stars. Um yeah, it's it's a slasher, which isn't really my genre. My like traditional kind of slashers. I find Jason like incredibly boring as a villain. Like he I just doesn't do it for me. Um I don't see any sort of like weird primacy like I do with uh you know michael myers or something and he's not goofy like freddy like i just don't i don't know I don't, I don't really get behind the friday the 13th movies that much and i hated kind of every character in the movie except for like three of them yeah and i don't so i get what you're gonna say i don't get that fun anymore in watching characters i hate get murdered except for like the most loathsome there's this like entitled ass dude named Trent, this like white privilege rich yeah. asshole. Yeah, watching him die was <laughs> definitely a five star movie. Um, but a lot of the other stuff was was not like particularly my cup of tea. But it's it's a it's a well made technical movie. I just wish that you know it wasn't catering to like the worst frat boys in the dialogue sometimes. Um, so it's been it's I don't think I've seen it since it came out. So and I, but I remember one of the guys from Supernaturals in it. But not the good one. <laughs> <laughs> B Team oh. Supernatural got it. I, I forget their name. It's been a while since I've, well, I, I gave up on Supernatural a few years ago. I think it's still <laughs> on the air. Um, but but to give you a sense, it was like way past its prime uh, before my daughter was born. When I my first daughter. Uh, but I think it's on like season thirteen or fourteen now. But uh, the short haired guy is very funny. But I don't think he's in uh, that. I think it's the long haired guy. Yeah, down, like yeah, down to his, his shoulders, basically. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's not that good, but I just so I guess my memory of it is I watched it almost back to back with Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which I shut off halfway through for reasons we discussed at length last week, and it just seemed like a little lighter at the time, especially than um, all those all those like uh, Platinum Dunes like remakes of classic horror movies where. It was like, let's be as gritty and as gross as we possibly can. And this didn't feel like that. Like, this had some gore effects, but it wasn't, like, I think mired in, like, brutality, which was refreshing in 2009 anyways. And then I also thought it was very clever. Instead of just remaking the original or remaking a movie with Friday the 13th is that they essentially remake the first three movies in one movie, which those movies don't have that much plot anyway, so it kind of effectively – is a good way to sum up like a, a whole trilogy of movies into one movie. So those those were what I liked about it. Yeah, the the dialogue wasn't particularly good. I didn't really like any of the characters. But you know, it, you're you're right. There is like a sort of like breeziness to it where I'm like, it just feels like oh, their party ended. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. But yeah, I, I it was that wasn't my low point. The low point was um. The Gods of Cinema punishing me for watching a Roman Polanski movie. Uh, and it was The Fearless Vampire Killers. And I can't fucking stand this movie. It's like one of those movies that like thinks it's like very it's it, it's like being in the room with like a bad improv troupe. Like oh, no. everything that this just it's just like every joke gets thrown at the wall and like one out of twenty are funny. Like their batting average is so low. And B, you have to stare at a rapist's face for two hours, which is not good, I don't think. Not unless he's behind bars. I didn't know he was the – I didn't know he was like basically the protagonist in the movie. I thought he was like – I don't know. He cameoed in it or something. Uh, Yeah, Fearless Vampire Killers is trash. I have no idea who recommended it to me. 
I thought maybe I was like, well, yeah, it's cinema history. I guess I should see it. You know, I love Young Frankenstein. Obviously, you know, he made Rosemary's Baby. He made some of, you know, the best horror movies of all time. Like maybe a horror comedy by him would be really fun. It's not. Get away. For moral reasons, for art reasons, go away from Ferris Vampire Killers. You don't, just don't do it. Um, <laughs> but for other movies, let your art reasons trump your moral reasons, I think is what you're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like, you didn't get a good time and you feel dirty. What you're saying is that at least if you're going to feel dirty, have a good time, right? I'm saying, I'm saying, no matter where you fall on the moral spectrum for, you know, creepy artists that also make movies, no matter where you fall, this movie should not be for you. <laughs> Unless you like bad movies, I guess. Um, good advice. But the rest of the stuff was very good and hit me because it didn't feel like anything else I'd watched this month. Uh, I walked with a zombie. Oh, uh, that's Jacques great. Tourney movie. Yeah. Awesome so movie. Good. Awesome. I Yeah. Just nice, lean, mean, like, I think it's like 69 minutes or something. Um, and it's basically like ever that movie and the other movie I watched that I like really loved was Burn, Witch, Burn, which came, I think, almost two decades later. Both of them are black and white movies about the occult, and that's just, like, my shit. Like, I give any movie with occult uh, theming and people, like, using bizarre rituals to enact their will, like, all that stuff tends to get uh, an extra star out of me. And Burn Witch Burn is rad, because it's, like, an early 60s movie, it's very vibrant, it has a lot of, like, forward momentum, it's, it's twisty and turny, it's a Richard Matheson script, so it's... Got lots of fun developments as it goes. Um, definitely recommend Burn, Witch, Burn, but I won't say anything else about it because it's kind of uh, spoilery. Um, and then the one that I have no idea how I haven't ever seen was Creature from the Black R- Black Lagoon. Oh, that's oh, great. Yeah. I love that Never one. seen it. I saw it for the first time last year in Spooktober. I, I, had, I knew the whole story. Um, I... This is such a specific uh, reference, but I remember my library in elementary school, like the one at the school, had all these like yellow monster books. That had pictures of like Godzilla movies and and each one was like based on a certain one. So I and the Black Lagoon one, I just would check out over and over and over and over again and somehow then just never saw the movie. So you saw the movie before you saw the movie. Yeah. I mean, that's almost almost any like 30s to 50s monster movie. I probably read those books a hundred times yeah i i would have loved that shit growing up i just read whatever i could get my hands on and i would have loved like just anything with monsters in it well they were just shots from the movie and then like describing how the movie was made the story about it like but there was this whole series of them like everything from like dr jekyll to mr hyde to the invisible man to um yeah just a ton of them that's a great time to catch kids and get them uh, liking classic film because uh, anything is more interesting than being in class. So, like, the idea that you had to spend, like, a block of time in a library or, you know, you had extra time after school in the library and you're like, oh, what the hell is this? Like, yeah, it's a great time to catch kids. You want to tell me your, uh, when you were watching Creature from the Black Lagoon what you uh, messaged me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I said, I'm trying to pinpoint the exact moment in this that uh, Guillermo del Toro got horny. And uh, <laughs> and it is... Did you def- figure it out? 
It's definitely when she goes swimming and the and the creature is sort of like swimming against her. She's backstroking and he's sort of underneath her and she doesn't know he's there, but he's sort of like admiring her from a distance. And I'm like, oh, that's where Guillermo del Toro got so horny he wrote furry fan fiction. The best furry fan fiction, like Oscar winning, like one of my favorite movies ever furry fan fiction. Uh, is it still furry <laughs> if they're not furry? furry they're called smoothies which don't get those confused with the (laughs) other one because you you might say hey you want a smoothie and the person did not because they were expecting some frozen refreshments (laughs) (laughs) but yeah carrie have you seen a creature from the black lagoon i have i really like it um i want to tell you a very endearing and possibly embarrassing but he doesn't listen to this show um story about my husband where um he uh he loves creature from the black lagoon julie adams is has been his number one celebrity crush for like years ever since he saw this movie probably at a young and impressionable (laughs) age and he was at some convention or festival or something a couple years ago and she was there doing a signing and she's how old is she now in her i'm looking her up i'm gonna get she's 90 she's 91 so she was in her 80s at the time and he like met her and she gave him an autograph and he was blushing the entire time he was like (laughs) when people talk about you know, people being too old to have crushes on. Like, if you if you meet Julie Adams in her eighties, like you are still gonna completely blush. <laughs> I just thought that was really sweet. That's a very cute story. <laughs> so I get I sent you the the link to what these monster books were. I found them and I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool to get these. Uh, the Godzilla one goes for thirty three hundred dollars. Oh, Jesus Christ. So that's Price that's for range. people really desperate to dive back into their childhood, huh? That monster. I mean, the rest has of them, be... the rest of them are between like forty and a hundred. Which I'm not like. I was like, oh, maybe I can find a lot on eBay for like fifty bucks for all twenty of them. But uh, I'm gonna put that away and Man. cry to myself that I didn't rob my public school library when I was in second grade. Wow, these look awesome. Though. These are these are gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, like I said, I was obsessed, uh, obsessed with these. It was like the only the, thing I would just check them out, like in order. And it was before I'd seen any of these movies. Like I, yeah, I think oh, yeah. the first, the first one I saw was King Kong, which they had at my public library. This is a really good uh, promotion for libraries in general. They got a lot of good stuff. Check them out. Um, <laughs> um, but, Huge uh, library guy, big library guy. Yeah, no, I mean, the King Kong was, I think, the first one I finally got around to watching, but. It was after, like, going, like, I'm like, well, where are all these sequels I've read about in this book? Yeah, I, yeah, I love this. I love this right now because especially I just imagine, like, little Aaron, like, stowing away in the library and being like, like, I gotta see this. But, like, this was before Netflix. This was before, like, we all, this was before the era where we were all yeah. parroting movies. Like, it was just like, like someday 19, I'll This is see like this. 1990, yeah. Someday I'll. I'll be able to watch these these movies. Um, yeah. If if you are listening though, and you're like, "What is he talking about?" They're called the Crestwood House Monster Books. So if you want to give me a present of a Godzilla book, and you are a wealthy person listening to this, uh, guess what? I want Christmas is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it really does show you though the economy of these monster things because like Invisible Man, eighty bucks. Kong, 70 bucks. Like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, 30 bucks. Godzilla, $3,300. Yeah. 
Like you can tell who won the the nostalgia, and that one was really cool too because Godzilla had the most like movies because I and it went through each movie um, as you went through. So at the time, I remember going all the way up to what would have been Terror of Mechagodzilla, like the end of the show series. I was like, I gotta see all these. You're literally the only person here, I think, who would know that. Uh, yeah, Carrie, Zach, yeah. Zach, you have extensive knowledge of Godzilla. Zach's stuff. not on. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I don't. No. That's where Zach and I were kind of kindred spirits when we first yeah. met through the Dissolve a few years ago, because we both uh, had an unhealthy obsession at one point in our lives uh, about Godzilla movies. Mine was about the ages between 8 and 16, and Zach is uh, birth to present. Zach now lives in my city, so I can get him to educate me. Oh, I mean... That's just let you know. You know you know about Pandora's box and monkey paws? <laughs> he will happily do that. Oh, and I know. You're not gonna find a better guide. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just go over to his place and we'll yeah. watch all of them. <laughs> uh sorry, uh yeah, Peter, anything else? Sorry to to do that uh to nope, that should be that should be it. And uh amazingly, on October twelfth, so by the time you hear this, it's already gonna be out, Netflix is putting out Apostle and the House on Haunted Hill TV series. Oh. Which is insane. Like, those are both gonna be so good. They both have gotten really well reviewed, and Netflix is putting them out on the same night in the middle of October. Like I get so excited when just like Spooktober seems to come to me in some way because I spend so long trying to find these old DVDs and stuff and making sure my like lineup feels nice. And then Netflix is like, hey, here's another like 14 hours of shit for you to watch this month. And, and yeah. I like gleefully eat it up. Right. I, Apostle's been on my list for a while. I'm definitely going to watch that. Um, I'm probably going to save House on Haunted Hill. But now... I see those two movies coming to Shudder on Friday. What is it like? Satan's, Satan's Claws and Terrified. Terrified is supposed to be real crazy. Yeah. So now I might that's, have a couple a, more. Yeah. That's on my list as well. There's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun rest of the month. Do you guys want to talk about Carrie with Carrie? Yeah. Carrie squared. Carrie squared. <laughs> Squaried. Squaried. Squared. <laughs> alternate taglines um i just realized that uh that but uh normally i would say it to you <laughs> yeah that's but, how it works if you... <laughs> but uh do you want do you want to do it do you want to say aaron your alternate taglines aaron you're... you peter are alternate taglines Ooh, this is a twist ending there you slowed it down i didn't know where it was going yeah. It went to the Old same twist. spot it always does. Old twist. Go on YouTube for the rest of uh, the ending on that sentence. Great. Uh, <laughs> the deleted, the, the ending the producers didn't want you to see. 
Um, so my tagline is, this one should actually be called The Rage because not enough people saw it. <laughs> well, then it would, I think for the last two, calling anything a rage would probably not be applicable because they were anything but The Rage. Um, oh, I see. I see what you did. Yeah. Um, Syn- synonyms are, or homonyms are fun. <laughs> so yeah, I I can go through the little recap if you just ask me nicely. Peter? Please, we're dying to have you do the recap. Listen to my words, not my tone. <laughs> As a robot, I've heard you politely ask me to do this task. I'd love to comply. So... <laughs> You're just like Siri. You don't even <laughs> yeah. re- you, Siri. You just recognize the words. Siri, please order me Chinese food from that restaurant <laughs> that we ordered last night. Yours. Here, let's see if I so, hold on. Let's see if I sarcastically say something to Siri if he if she picks up on it. Um, if I know how to work Siri on my phone. Hold on. <laughs> this is fun. Anyways, the synopsis hold on. is. Oh, it's on silent. Hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna ru- hold on. Let me derail the episode, Peter. We never derail. We never derail anymore. We're all, we're all business now. So okay, serious. Yeah, we're so serious. I'm not sure I understand. Um, by the way, if um, if it says my name, you're gonna find out something very embarrassing that Maya made me do in Jews too. Um, oh, Siri, thank you. You're so helpful. You're most certainly welcome. Yeah, does not pick up on sarcasm <laughs> Siri, yeah, at all. Siri just janited you. Like, you just took away your your power. Um, Let's see if we can get it to say my name. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. You're A-A-A-A-A-A-A. But since we're friends, I get to call you daddy. Yeah. Aww. Uh, so, so I was playing with this. So I was playing with this once and Maya was like, it had Aaron. And it was like, that's not your name. It's daddy. So I changed it. I, I, and one time I was fumbling around with my phone in like a Target checkout and it said, sorry, I didn't catch that daddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and people did look at me like I had a strange relationship with my phone and like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's fair. Were you buying a, a Blu-ray copy of her? Yeah. <laughs> you all saw this movie. You, you guys seen her? You guys Spike Jones fans? I'm in, I'm in one of those situations. <laughs> one of those Spike Jones mix-ups. So, what happens in Carrie is, I, you know, I thought this movie, the plot of this was sort of one of those standard plots that, like, everyone knows. Um, but I talked to Molly and she was like, I don't know, there's something with, like, a bucket of pig's blood or something and she kills people. I don't know. Like, so, like, apparently there are people that don't know the plot to Carrie. Um, so, so, Carrie is the story of a girl named Carrie uh, who has a religious extremist mother who's incredibly repressive and abusive uh, and doesn't really let her socialize much with her friends. She talks about how the, you know, the girls at her school are whores and, you know, she thinks every guy is trying to, you know, soil her precious, innocent, virginal daughter. And why well, uh, she had tried to homeschool her until the state was like, get her in school. <laughs> You who are too cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs to be able to uh, be a teacher. Carrie goes to school, quiet girl, pretty reserved. Um, she has a incident um, where she is in the bathroom one day and starts menstruating and gets blood 
uh, everywhere, and she thinks she's dying. Like she, she why, what else? What else would you assume if you had never been taught about menstrual cycles from your crazy mother? So she starts like crying and reaching out to people to help her. She's like, "I'm internally bleeding," and everyone's like, "No, you idiot! Like use a tampon." And they're like throwing tampons at her and yelling at her and laughing at her. And a girl films it. It's a one difference, I guess, from this one and the '76 one. No one had like. A fucking tape recorder in the bathroom just handy in there. Hold locker. on, get my 16 millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even get audio. It'd just be in her hand cranking in the bathroom. Um, anyways, so that didn't sound right. Anyways, uh, so. <laughs> she, Sorry. <laughs> so. It sounded uh, too right if you ask me. <laughs> so in this particular version and in the original though, in this particular version compared to the book and in this version, there's a, a principal and who seems to be kind of aloof and he kind of hands off the the disciplinary duties to uh you know a gym coach um which is I don't think aloof is the right word I think that he's like I don't know how to deal with girls even though I'm supposed to be the you know principal of an entire school here you're also a girl why don't you f- deal with it I yeah. absolve myself from any responsibility because I don't get it like that He can't that, even that, say the word right like yeah, he can't yeah, even yeah. talk about it yeah, which I don't know. You fi- you figure in 2013 he would have at least found like a politically neutral kind of sterile way to talk about these things, but whatever. So he hands off the uh, responsibilities for all this bullying and also for saving Carrie, who's being bullied, like all of this shit, off to Miss uh, Desjardins, uh, who's Judy Greer. And uh, Miss Desjardins starts to basically like Tell all the girls that were responsible that uh, if you don't get your shit together, none of you are going to prom. One of the girls throws a shit fit, uh, Chris, uh, and she pushes all of them away. Basically, like pushes all of them away. They all fall into line behind the the gym coach, and she says, "Like, no, fuck this. I'm not. I'm not bending over for you know you guys. Like, we made fun of that girl, and we were right about it." And so she starts uh, planning her revenge against Carrie. At the same time, uh, there's another one of her classmates, uh, Sue, who's dating uh, Tommy. And Sue uh, is pregnant and doesn't know it, A. And B, Sue feels genuinely bad about what happened to Carrie and that she played a role in it. So Sue decides to do this sort of condescending but, like, well-meaning thing where she, like, gifts Tommy to... Uh, Carrie for to go to the prom basically like for a night you can have my boyfriend but she doesn't tell anybody I, I guess sort of in another act of kindness doesn't tell Carrie that she tells her boyfriend Tommy just act like you want to take her to the prom like don't tell her about me or whatever so Tommy asks Carrie to go to prom Mrs. Desjardins is obviously concerned about this but you know can't really stop them while this is happening, Carrie's being harassed by her insane mother. And while this is all happening, Carrie's starting to realize that her, her telekinetic powers are awakening. Um, so she can basically move things with her mind. She can set certain things on fire. And it sort of all kicks off, yeah, after the menstruation embarrassment incident. And it's – so – Prom is approaching, Carrie manages to basically force her will 
you know, sorry, Carrie manages to make her will apparent to her mother um, by saying, like, because of this telekinesis, now she's gotten some sense of, like, physical strength over her mother. Like, her, if her mom starts touching her, she doesn't want her to, like, she can, like, slap her mom's hand away or her mom starts physically abusing herself to, like, make Carrie stop. She can stop her mother's hand dead in the air. Like, Carrie starts to take a little bit more control at home. She starts to be a little happier at school. And then prom arrives. And I think everyone knows what happens here. Uh, the shithead girl, Chris, has killed a pig with her awful boyfriend and some of their friends and filled a bucket of pig's blood, put it up on the above the stage, and basically... Carrie and Tommy have had it manipulated or they've had it manipulated by Chris and some of the the other girls to um, have it. So Carrie wins the prom queen and Tommy wins the prom king, which guarantees they will be on stage and there will be a bucket of pig's blood above their heads. The last moment, they drop the bucket of pig's blood on Carrie and she has a psychic meltdown. She freaks the fuck out. And starts murdering everyone kind of indiscriminately. She thinks everyone has set her up for this. It wasn't just, you know, a couple girls. Then Carrie goes on her crazy rampage and then takes it home. And goes home and has a fight with her mother. Her mother tries to kill her. And Carrie defends herself but feels so terrible about it and so much guilt and shame about it that she basically brings the house down around her. But not before Sue comes to give, like, one last final apology, or I guess maybe the only real direct apology, and Carrie tells her she's pregnant. Movie ends with authorities confused about what happened the night where Carrie murdered her entire school, basically. Sue visits Carrie's grave, and there's some telekinetic rumbling. Then, in the alternate cut, which we <laughs> I was uh, allowed to watch between the break, the alternate cut ends with Sue having a nightmare about Carrie wherein Carrie's bloody arm pops out of Sue's vagina, sorry, yeah, out of Sue's vagina and reaches for her, and it's all a dream. Actually, Sue's, you know, at her, presumably her parents' house, she has given birth to the baby, but she is, like, in full meltdown mode. But yeah, that's Carrie. Peter hadn't seen the other clip, Carrie, but he said vagina, no problem, so I think that's good. Um... <laughs> We'll talk about that in a sec. But anyways, uh, yeah, so I, I'll i confess I haven't um, – we, we talked initially, I think, uh, the three of us about whether we should compare this or like watch the original movie. And um, I think the decision was pretty unanimous that we wanted this to stand on its own. But I'll be honest, from my perspective, I haven't seen the original Carrie since I was in college and I've never read the book. So while I remembered – the bullet points, this was still able to be a little twisty for me because I didn't rem- – I, I honestly thought Sue and the uh, boyfriend here played by Ansel – whatever's that, Elgert? Ansel Elgort. It's such, yeah. a, um, such a strange Anvil thing. Anvil Egbert. Egbert, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Eggman. Choo-choo-choo-choo. Uh, um, he <laughs> – I, I, I seem to remember everyone actually being against Carrie in the original, so – I honestly thought that they were part of the scheme. I I thought they were going to turn against her as well and laugh at her. I don't remember Carrie in the original having any original friends. So when both Sue and Ansel turned out to be legitimately good people trying to help, that was an honest to God twist for me. Now, I don't know if my recollection is correct, but that was my memory from 
from the original movie. Sue and Tommy are both both do the same thing in the original, but one key difference is that in the original, when the pig's blood falls, Carrie hallucinates everybody, including the people that have been nice to her, laughing at her. And in this version, that doesn't happen. Like, the gym teacher is, is like, horrified and, like, she's not laughing at Carrie. Because the video is not funny. The video is... The video is horrific. Yeah, the video is, is a crime. Um, yeah. And and uh, I think the only people really laughing are her direct bullies, and even like one of them is like, "Oh shit, we went too far." Yeah. Uh, there's only there's very I think there's only two pure evil characters in this movie, and it's Chris and her boyfriend. Even the mom, I mean, the mom is like just clinically insane. Like she she genuinely I think believes that she's helping her daughter and save her soul, and like yeah, like you could. That could be interpreted as evil, I guess. But, like, the only real villains in this, despite the fact that there's a telekinetic girl who murders her entire school, are the two bullies that basically engineer this slaughter. Yeah. So, let's talk about that a little. Because I do have one... I I really like this movie. I do have one problem with it that, you know, keeps it at, like, a three and a half, four star movie... As opposed to like a four and a half, five star movie. And it kind of it kind of is in this area, which is, again, I, I don't want to necessarily compare it to the original, but it does feel like, if my memory is at least correct, it felt like everyone was crueler and meaner and the teachers and everyone else around her cared less about what happened to her and even f- somewhat found it funny. This one does feel like... Even though she is kind of uh, an outcast and had a very traumatic thing happen to her, it does feel like there's more legitimately good people trying to be there for her and help her. And like you said, even the mom seems bad, like really, really bad, but not as like evil and scary as the mom in the original. And also – Chloe Grace Mertz is so much better at like portraying. I think. I think. I think in the original, Carrie just always feels scared and has no confidence. And it like, there. Sissy Spacek is it's an amazing performance, but here, and I love uh, Chloe Grace Mertz, but she, you know, she really does seem nice and happy and not as tortured. So I think the biggest problem this movie has is not in the performances. But I, I do have a little problem buying the stretch of who Carrie is as portrayed in this movie, who everyone around her is, mm-hmm. and then the the switch to I'm going to literally murder everyone. It feels sudden and it feels out of character. Um, character. Out of <laughs> character. <laughs> then, then it did, you know, like, you know, Sissy Space really felt like a cornered animal. Like, mm-hmm. that's what she gives off in that. And this is – I don't want to in any way minimize the trauma and the, the the what is being done to her. But she just doesn't portray it as as someone who's, who is as affected to the point that once the last – like, it doesn't feel like she's at her last straw. And it feels like she knows that there's people there that, that care. So, I that jump to I'm going to kill everyone – um, and also, like, this is not – maybe this is not the way the original Carrie uh, meant it. Like, 
I don't know about you guys, but in the original Carrie, when she starts killing everyone, there is almost a little bit of a satisfaction because everyone has been so abusive and cruel to her. And like everybody, it felt like that there is like, uh, yeah, you guys are like, I'm not saying you deserve to be murdered in this gym, but I'm kind of rooting for Carrie in this moment. Where here it's like, oh no, like you, you could have still like, no, don't do this. This, this feels a sadder. And I don't know if that's intentional by both directors, but I don't know. That's, that's my big, I, I we're going to talk a lot about all the things that I think we all like in it, but I will say that is my big problem with the movie. And I'm, I'm curious uh, your thoughts. Yeah. On. Let's wrangle with that right away. So the, the, the fateful act, the bucket of blood gets dropped on our head and all that and what it actually means. And we can kind of like backtrace how we get there. Um, cause I, I'm really glad you said all of that, even though I disagreed with a significant chunk of it, or I know, I don't know. I like had a lot to say about a significant chunk of it because like, I think the actual, I, I interpreted the act differently. The act of violence where Carrie kills basically her whole school. And then afterwards, separately outside the gym takes her specific revenge against the people that really, really deserve it. And that's that. Nobody except for really the bullies deserves it. And even the bullies don't really deserve to be murdered. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, they embarrassed her in front of the whole school. And, like, it's an incredibly cruel act. But, like, and the mo- and both movies kind of portray the specific head bullies and their boyfriends as fucking evil. But no one really, I mean, in my heart of hearts, none of them really deserve it. And none of the kids in the school deserve it. The idea is that. The paranoia and the fear and all of the, the you know, pushing out against the outside walls of society that her mom has built into her brain all these years that society is the, these evil people, these sinful people. And that the fact that they even have to deal with the Sodom and Gomorrah like dirties their soul. And that's why we have to pray all the time to make sure that we are not being corrupted. But and she then, never feels like she's struggling with that. I guess that's the other thing is that like she – but, she at least doesn't, to me, read as someone but, who is, like, struggling with that. She just kind of reads as, like, she thinks my her, mom's crazy, She thinks, but I don't mom, really buy into all she, this stuff. She definitely believes in God, I will say. Yeah. I, she I, definitely I, believes yeah. that there is something there. I just think that she thinks that, that her mom has gone wacko, which is, like, I think Car- that's why Carrie is such a, a fundamentally um, sympathetic character is that, like, she, we're kind of on her side, right? Like, that, like, she's just, like getting trampled by this religious repression and the the idea that she snaps at the end is not that it's this justified thing or that anybody deserved it it's that suddenly she she was in a moment of pure vulnerability and pain and all and she's somehow gathered up all this power that she doesn't know how to use and at that perfect moment she goes through the most painful thing ever and her mom was right. Well, she thinks her mom was right. She's like, oh shit, I should be at home with my mom. That's why she immediately runs home. She's like, I should be at home with my mom. She's right. All these people are just here to hurt me. They just dragged me out in, in public so they could, you know, tar and feather me. And so she can't even control how she's reacting. She's lashing out like crazy because she suddenly believes all of the terrible things she's been told. I don't know. Carrie, is that how you took any of this or? Yeah, I, I think that I think that it's a trauma response. Like this is someone who has been abused her whole life. I think that's even I forget exactly what her last line is to Sue, but it's something along those lines. Like this is a person who's been abused forever by her mother, by her classmates. And at a certain point, 
you know, not everyone has the healthiest coping mechanisms. And hers in that moment is just to completely lash out. And I don't think she's fully in control of it. Um, I think that it, it, I think maybe in the original she might be a little bit more, but in this one it just seems to me like this is just her gut instinct, that this is her only way out of the situation and she's going to take it. You know, and then she goes, she does go back home, and I think she momentarily feels a little bit safer there, but mm. she's still trying to calm herself down from, like, this this moment of feeling like she had no escape. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right from what it's trying to do. I guess my problem is that I don't think that Chloe Grace Mertz is great at portraying, like, portraying that necessarily. She's good in a lot of this movie, and I really like her in general, but I just, I don't, I don't get that vibe from her playing that character, even if I agree with you 100% that that's, I think what it's supposed to be. She Let's has, talk about her casting. Yeah. Yeah, Carrie, what do you think of, of her casting? Because I think that's maybe the most controversial part of this, even though she's very popular. I think people really like her. She has some limited range, I think, in general. Um, I like her. I think the best thing about her casting is that she's age appropriate. Um, yeah. My biggest problem with Sissy's Basics casting is that she is 10 years too old and looks it and feels it. And, you know, Chloe. I'm basically her age. Yeah, exactly. And and, and <laughs> she was a year younger than me when she shot. That I just movie. always assume people yeah. in the 70s look like 15 years older than we do now. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think Chloe Grace Moretz was like 16 or 17 when she shot it. Like she. That's not. She feels. I mean, she's been acting since she was what, like 11 or 12? Yeah, like, she's got she's, so many great roles, like Thirty Rock and Let Me In, and, and I like, Love You, Daddy. And I, yeah, yeah, she's. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Which I Peter seen. forgot what that movie was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I have. Not, I have not seen it. I have seen oh, it. I, it's very bad. Don't watch it. <laughs> and I've been. I've been pitching for a long time that like if they ever did a remake of Back to the Future, I would love to see her play Marty McFly and Emma Thompson play um, Doc Brown. Like I oh, think she cool, has yeah. that kind of. I think she has that kind of energy because she is just so affable and she's so likable. And I think sometimes that's hard to tamp down. And so it's a, she's good in a lot of this movie that kind of conveying that emotional trauma that's leading to, like you said, this action. I, I just, I don't, it's, I have trouble buying it in the context of the movie, even if I think that's, I agree with you, that's what they were going for. What I what I kind of like about her performance, um, I, I've seen a lot of people criticize her specifically, similar to what you're saying, that she she comes across as too confident and she comes across as like having too much agency in points. But I kind of like that, particularly in the scenes where she's originally fighting back against her mother, that like she has developed her abilities enough that she does feel like she has some control over situations. And that's like the one thing giving her safety. And I kind of like that because that's not something in like abuse narratives. That's not something we see very often. And I like that she's allowed that even briefly, even if it doesn't last, it's something that she can have for a little while. Yeah. She's genuinely like, 
hopeful and trying and she's not this like jaded like cigarette smoking like i seen it all man like it's yeah. nice, it's yeah. nice to have that depiction of an abuse survivor where she's like genuinely still in the moment like when she goes home it's still this mix of safety and terror but she also like when when she has her moments alone and she thinks like she feels comfortable outside the house like you can see her trying to like develop i think chloe's grace moretz puts a lot into the performance in terms of um variance as the movie goes on so i think early on she's like super shy and she really nails that like girl you don't talk to because she gives off that bad energy girl mm-hmm. and then as soon as she gets asked out in the prom she starts to get that confidence but it's like this sort of hollow confidence because she doesn't know if she can believe in it but yeah. she needs to believe in it yeah exactly uh, yeah and and i think you know you you kind of touched on peter the idea of like the deserving to die thing and 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 how that is like not a great thing to think about in horror movies. I don't know if it's even my biggest problem with the original, but it does. I think the original makes you wrestle with the fact that you start rooting for all these kids to die once this happens to Carrie uh, on some some respects. And you're realizing that you're kind of rooting for this person who has been pretty innocent the whole time to basically take the final match to her life and get and destroy it, right? Like, she's definitely been pushed to a breaking point, and when you see her get her revenge, you're also seeing her kind of destroy any chance for redemption or to move on past high school. And I, I don't know if the movie purposely wrestles with that, but I think that's an interesting thing that you realize you're – you're essentially rooting against the main character suddenly to have a happy life for uh, the chance of some some revenge. And I, I do like the way this movie kind of changes that because without without it feeling like she's you know hopeless, this this really like the whole parts with like Ansel Egbert, uh, Egbert, um, <laughs> like this could be ripped out of like a she's all that thing, and yeah. and and Chloe is really good at that. Like this could be Rachel Lake Cook. And Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, it seems like the same tone. It's like styled visually the same way. I think maybe purposefully, because obviously this is coming after years of these type of teen movies of like uh, the the Cinderella narrative in some respects. And so I I do like that in this one you are pro- you are not thinking that everything's lost. You're not thinking please kill everybody. Instead you're thinking oh no please yeah. don't do this. Like yeah. you're so. Like, you really have a chance to move on past this. You have people in your court. And so you don't have that same instinct, I don't think, to be like, kill them all. And that is a big change from, I think, the instinct you're supposed to have in the original. I think also in the original, the... The original is more of this this, uh, raw filmmaking. It's not De Palma in pure operatic mode yet, though he does have plenty of swooping overhead shots and long takes and slow-mo, like stuff that he would be known for later is to make these sort of like heightened formalist kind of films. But that those that sort of filmmaking approach, I think leaves more room in our heads for making us feel like this is a dirty and bad moment. Especially the way it dwells on the violence feels like very choking and very uh, just to just run down. Like there's something really like seedy about the way that these people are being killed in the original movie. And in this one, part of the nature of it, and I think this is something that people would criticize it for, 
is that it is a glossy Hollywood movie in a lot of ways. Like, it's very pretty to look at. Like, it kind of could resemble a teen movie for the first, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, apart from certain scenes, like the Mm -hmm. birth scene that kicks it off and the menstruation scene. Like, it could be, like Aaron said, like a she's all that kind of thing. Uh, Because the way it's shot, it's shot very in... in, um, a more traditional mold. And I'm not saying there's no flourishes to it or that it's, you know, boring. Uh, when you shoot something in a more traditional mold, sometimes it can't help but be just straight up exciting instead and of... Glamorous. Ex- yes, exciting yeah. And glamorous. Yes, inciting and glamorous, which... Um, also, the whoever made that prom playlist was really, really hooked into the best music of 2013. I've listened <laughs> to their Spotify track. Yeah, the the music in the movie is all pretty much what I was listening to between yeah. 2009 and 2013. Even the ending song is a cult song that's really great. Yeah. Um, yeah they I use a cult that. song also in Tragedy Girls. So I kind of oh, like that this band. That, this band that I liked in high school is still cool. Um, oh, cool. I liked them when I already had a uh, salary job and had moved across. Uh, Peter. La- <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so I funny. Guess to me I that get it. You were listening to cults in high school. I'm like, I wasn't read like 27. <laughs> Guys, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Get older. Um, Guys, I'll die someday too. Don't worry. Oh, We're no. all headed there. So what do you think, Carrie? Do you think that this is – it's supposed to be kind of shifting your reaction at the – when the pig blood, the big moment finally happens? Or do you think it's uh, just kind of the way the movies were shot or something else? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm still kind of rooting for her at the end there. Like, you know, <laughs> I I, I want her to be okay. I want her to – you know, I, I don't like that she necessarily feels like she has to kill everybody because it doesn't feel like a yeah. very healthy response. But, exactly, also, yeah. but also, like, it doesn't make me not feel empathy for her in that moment. So, you know, I, I still feel the identification. I still feel the 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 empathy, even if I'm like, oh, I wish you were making slightly different choices. But I also understand yeah. why you're making yeah. the choices you are. Because you've been put in this horrible situation, you, you know, repeatedly are trying to trust people who then screw you over, and it's not okay. And at a certain point, you know, when you when you are continually trying to develop trust and you're continually trying to have healthy relationships, and you keep being, you keep being shown time and time again that people aren't going to have your back, then yeah, you are going to snap. And it's yeah, a horror and a, movie, and, so it's going to happen in the most dramatic way possible. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's it's you don't even need to know the story of Carrie to, to know that there is a uh, a history of abuse that is heavily uh, implied. Feels doesn't even feel like the right word. Like the type of abuse that's happening to to Carrie has probably been gone going on her entire life, and we're dropped in at you know age sixteen or seventeen or whatever she's supposed to be. So yeah. Um, which, which I think also really were, you know, one thing I liked about the, uh, lock in the closet scene that I think actually, uh, uh, CJM, can we, can we just abbreviate CJ, old CJM, uh, (laughs) CGM, damn it. (laughs) I'm good with initials, guys. This is just a (laughs) fluke, I swear. Uh, no, I like that she... When she goes into the closet, like, she doesn't 
um, seem like she definitely is sad and is crying about it. But when you realize what horrific punishment, it doesn't seem like she is as affected as you would. You would, I think, think someone would be by having that situation or being put in that situation. And I think that's purposeful because I think what it's trying to portray is like, yeah, this sucks for her. But like for her, this is a little bit like. Her, re- her reaction being about the level as a 16-year-old who gets grounded is is right for her because this is her version of losing TV, is being, like, horribly abused. And so the kind of underplaying, in some respects, of her reaction to it is, like, fits and tells you a lot about the environment she's been raised in. I think that it also – it has a lot to do with the choices of how Julianne Moore is playing – Margaret, which, you know, Julianne Moore is my favorite part of this movie by oh, so yeah. much. She's incredible. It, it's it's so, so good. Um, and, and the additions they made from the previous one are so smart. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I love everything about her choices. Um, And what I really like about their dynamic is that it's it is as loving as it is abusive, that they develop very clearly early on that they care about each other and they do love each other and they just have this horrific, horrifically dysfunctional and abusive relationship. And it is this kind of nuanced look at like, when you have an abusive parent, you don't necessarily not have other attachments to them. Yep. Because they're still your parent and you rely on them for survival and you might still have other positive interactions with them. So there's so much nuance. And I think when she, you know, she's locked in the closet, part of her is obviously like completely uh, devastated that this is happening again. She might also be kind of numb, but she's also like, wow, you know, my poor mother is set off again. And like that probably makes her kind of sad too. Yeah, and it also kind of speaks to the cycle of abuse a little bit because, like, obviously, uh, Margaret is a uh, – I'm going to go out on a limb and say a bad parent. Yes. So you shouldn't buy her version of Dr. Spock's parenting book. Uh, she's uh, – but – in Aaron, her it's heart- called the Bible. Okay, Aaron? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot Dr. Spock wrote the Bible. <laughs> um, but I think what's really hard to grapple with, and this is always hard to grapple with, in abusive situations is that it's easier if the abuser is a monster and is doing things for like evil reasons. Yep. Um, and Julianne Moore honestly to her core believes that she is doing the right thing. She believes with her, all her heart that the only way to protect her daughter from whatever happened to her. And I'm a little unclear on that. Maybe we should touch on that after this. But um, she is doing everything she thinks it's right. And while, you know, while my parents specifically are not like abusers, I've talked on the show about how their beliefs are crazy. And it's very tough to talk to them because in their heart of hearts, they honestly believe they are saving me or attempting to save me from burning for eternity for my (laughs) political and religious beliefs. Yeah. And that's tough. And that's something I haven't fully wrestled with all the way. And just because it's like, yeah, but you are literally making the world a worse place. (laughs) You are hurting people. And in their minds, they're like, he's the devil's tricking him. Like, he can't see what we can see because we're wearing the they live glasses. The harm that they have caused, which is not anywhere near the harm of, of abusive people, abusive parents, or like, you know, Margaret in this movie. 
But it is something that they are not doing, but anything out of the kind kindness of their heart. Like they are doing real harm and abusers do real harm out of the goodness of their heart. And that that is something that I just don't think we're that processing that is very difficult. And Julianne Moore is so good because she doesn't come across as evil. She yeah. doesn't come across as hateful. She doesn't she does seem like this deciding to have her daughter was the best thing that happened to her, but she is doing everything wrong to protect her in some way that the audience can't fully understand. Uh, it's it's so true. The way I've in the way I've always seen these like cycles of abuse is that like you're getting pushed on from one side by your abuser, right? And then that's the the mom at home, and then you're getting, and then she's getting pushed on the other side by another abuser, and she has like kind of nowhere to go but to either lash out or lash inward, and that really helps explain the ending and why the house kind of becomes symbolic of her as a person. Yeah. That the house implodes yeah. because she has turned her rage inward because she wishes she hadn't killed her mother. She wants her mom back. She literally says, I want her back. And she, but before she goes, she wants like one last moment of like, this isn't right. And she sends Sue flying out of the house to save Sue and her baby. And the Julianne Moore thing, and it still gives you sympathy for all the characters involved, despite the fact that like Julianne Moore is often played as a monster but she's also played as a human. So, like, they do it almost within the same scenes sometimes, within the same moments. So, for one, there's something very humbling about getting to see the mom. And I don't think this is in the original movie. Um, Out of the context the of her daughter at work. At work. Yeah. Yes. And having I love to sort that of put detail. That's one – it's like my favorite scene in the movie probably because it made me even more sympathetic for her because it made me realize that like she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing out in the, in the wilds either. She's scared to be out there. She's not just punishing the daughter and then out, out in public she's like, oh, hey, how you doing? Well, yeah. Well, I think she's – and she's punishing herself because she's getting compliments. Like she does believe that joy equals sin. So, like, she's – as the person's uh, complimenting her work, she's torturing herself in the same way that she attempts to – like, she doesn't see it as torture. She sees it as uh, repelling uh, the temptation to get sucked up into the worldliness, uh, the seductive worldliness. That's a Um, really great way of putting it because – and also, like, in the same sense, in the same moment where – Later in the movie, when Carrie comes home after the killings, she her mom is stalking around the house behind her in the in, you know in the in the the background, and she's played like a monster. Also, her mom apparently has a radio that only gets music from like ba- the Bible Belt in the thirties. Yep, a great radio. Apparently, it's like just a station <laughs> for that. Um, but, uh, in that same moment you get, uh, she comes and hugs her daughter. You get a genuine sense that she's like, what I have to do here is kill you. It gives me no joy, but holding you kind of gives me some joy. Like the, the embrace of getting to keep you in my arms is not something I'm doing just to get close to you. It's something cause like I, you're my daughter and I love you. When she says, I love you, you buy it. Absolutely. She's doing all of this out of love. She is doing horrifically, horrifically abusive things out of love because to her, that's what love is, even though it's not. It isn't love, but she thinks that's what it is. Yeah. And she also says dirty pillows, which has definitely not been said in the past 40 years. Like, I've, I've, 
I'm not sure anyone says dirty pillows except for Stephen King, to be honest. But yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got to use pillowcases. I do want to go back a little bit to her working at the shop. I agree it's a great scene. I do wonder how her business has stayed in business for as long as it must have because, like, she doesn't seem like a friendly face. And I, I get she's a really good sewer, but, like... How many things are ripping to the point that you have to deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking about that too, and I think she does not own that business. I think she, I think there'd be no way in shit she could handle talking to like. Well, I, know, I know, but like, ta- if she's a, there, a tax accountant. I mean, I think <laughs> you know, she, like, can, if you- she can probably manage to be polite with people. She just, you know, has she has some shit going on, and and this the one time that we see her is after this like. A very upsetting event has happened. She's already kind of in this other dimension. And then it's Sue's mother who comes in and is bringing it all up and talking about it. And that's the moment that she chooses to, like, stab the safety pin in herself. So I think so what that you're she- saying is you would go see her, get some stuff sewed. I mean, yeah. if she's good at what she does and she's not, you know, <laughs> look, I don't I don't. I, I, I go to the places I go to. I don't think a whole lot about the religious affiliations of <laughs> every every shopkeeper of- I meet yeah. in a given day. Yeah, I try not mm-hmm. to think about the internal life of my cobbler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was like, hey, great, great shoe cobbler, and he's just like, uh-huh. Staring. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to go find a new cobbler. Or just <laughs> Shoes are not that expensive if you go to Targets or Payless's. <laughs> I'd cobble better if it wasn't for my daughter. Like, no, it's not it's not what I would do. I do think that the self-harming detail that they've like worked into her character is really critical. And it kind of says a lot about the uh, the way that she the emotions that she's feeling, which is a lot of anger, and kind of how she feels that she has to direct them internally. So that she's not being more abusive to everyone around her all the time. Which it, is, yeah. weirdly enough, Carrie reflects that in the end of the movie. Yep. Um, when she turns all of her anger inward. Like, that's that's weirdly... At the end of the movie, she's weirdly going through an arc where she's, like, coming to terms with what weird paranoid bullshit her mom has put into her. And tragically embracing some of it. It's almost yeah. like you learn the behavior you see modeled for you at home. Yep. Yeah, it's that's a great it's, point. It's so crazy how it's so crazy how these movies like build in the this movie and, and Carrie, I should say, build in all this like emotional trauma and these sort of circles of violence and stuff. And we you talking about our them. guest or the other one? Sorry, what? Never mind. <laughs> so build in all these these traumas. You said you things. said this movie and Carrie building all these emotions. Yeah. I'm like, you our, guest, so, our guest Carrie keeps bringing all this. We we have went an hour and a half without making a joke. <laughs> I needed to do one. She needed to do one. I, I have I have more than a couple similarities with Carrie. <laughs> it's fair <laughs> enough to admit. Um, I couldn't. I, wait, hold on. We have to ask. Does your what, hair what, what, change from? Uh, Red to blonde inexplicably. Yes, it does. (laughs) Before you can, you know, kind of become the person you're supposed to be, I think it does take that moment um, that Carrie gets in this where 
somebody reaches out to you or you reach out to somebody and you make a connection, you seem to genuinely be having a good time. And then all of a sudden, like it gives you a little bit of faith. And like I said, even if it's like hollow faith, it gives you a little bit of faith in the world. And if this prank had gone wrong, I mean, the prank technically went right because it went exactly as the prank wanted it to go. Yeah. Minus all the murdering. If the prank had not gone off. You get the sense that Carrie would be an entirely different person after this. Like she yeah. could have been a She might have been healing. Yeah. She's not it's not um like say we did targets a little bit ago. And you get the sense that if targets hadn't happened that day at that theater or that highway, it would have happened another day at a different theater or school or whatever, right? With this I don't get that sense. I get the sense that they got her when she was feeling most high about herself and thus most vulnerable. And this was a moment where she like decided to give the world some of her faith. And yeah. the world, so to speak, smashed it in her face. And yeah. I, I get the sense that she'd been a little older and also had had her powers a little longer, right? Because there's just like a live wire right now and she like can't even control when she's hurting people. I was just going to say that she, she also seems really like – Excited about her powers. Like, she's reading all those books. She's telling her mom about, like, no, there's people that can do it. Like, she's kind of like, I'm like an X-Men. Um, and she doesn't seem all that scared by them initially either. And like you said, like, she she's kind of accepted that. She, she You're right. She's at her highest point because she's controlling her power. She's doing uh, more complicated stuff. And her personal life seems to be going better. Her She's having her, you know... A, a a year ago, um, she was uh homeschooled. So I guess that's that's where I'm like Carrie, because in my junior high, I was the oldest uh, and the tallest, because I was homeschooled for junior high. <laughs> so, are you saying um, being homeschooled makes you taller? No, but my classmates were my brothers. And they were younger than me. <laughs> Got it. So science. So technically, yeah. so I was the oldest and the tallest. Um, and because my my dad was at work once he came home. Though. <laughs> Got me there. Um, but yeah, she 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 clearly is like, yeah, you're right. The apex at like uh, everything's going on body wise, got it under control, personal life. Her mom is like a non-entity finally because she can push her aside with her mind. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah, it really is like her highest point she's probably ever been at, at in her life. And it gets smashed in her face. And that's so, so tragic. Um, but one thing real quick on her powers the only thing that I, like, outright hate in this movie is that, like, three-second clip, that three-second moment when Carrie is is confronting her mother. And it's right after a moment that I love. And she says, um, I think it came down from gram grandma or maybe dad. And I'm like, we really, like, it kind of takes some of the primal beauty out of it to be like, what are the origins of this power? Yeah. Like, I, so, so this is so this is my question. Um, I want to talk about the opening scene because I think the opening scene leaves it open to interpretation that she's had these powers since birth. Okay. So the opening is when Margaret's giving birth, and she's like, you know, horrified that this is happening. She doesn't seem to know what's happening to her. The baby comes out. She holds up the baby. She goes, "It's a test." And tries to kill the baby, and she's the scissors are hovering above the baby, hovering there for a few seconds, and then she doesn't stab the baby to death, and she holds the baby, and it's a nurturing thing. So I 
feel like that scene is left up to interpretation that either she's genuinely having this nurturing moment where she realizes she wants to try to be a mother or Carrie, the baby, is physically stopping her. Ooh, I don't I like know if that. that was a thought that either of you had, but but I, I, I yeah. I think that it was, I think I like to interpret it as uh, she saw it as like a Ibrahimic, is that what it's called when you're supposed to sacrifice your son and you, then God yeah, says no. Yeah, Abraham and Isaac, yeah. Yeah, it's like that Abrahamic or Ibrahimic sort of like challenge. I just call it the first punked. where where he uh it is the first punked god was like gotcha dude Mm -hmm. um he came out behind the cloud yeah (laughs) he's like oh look there's cameras here here god is such a goof if you really think about it especially in the old testament he's full of goofs pranks uh different sense of humor back then yeah um everyone was dying all the time so they had a lower threshold for what was polite humor Um, (laughs) all gallows but that that abrahamic moment where he has to sacrifice his son i interpret her as, as her rejecting that and choosing you know like love for her daughter but then feeling guilt about it for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I also think it's just cleaner to have the menstruation be the start of her powers. But I see what you're getting at that, like, maybe Carrie in her opening moments in the world where she would presumably be very emotional. <laughs> um, babies are incredibly emotional, would have that moment. But, like, I feel like she's also very surprised later when the powers happen and she accused her of witchcraft. But... That that's definitely that part is definitely gray, like how surprised she is and stuff. Aaron, which which way do you go with that? Well, I I don't I I like Carrie's interpretation. Um, it's definitely interesting because it, you could you could run with the movie in that interpretation and it totally. Well, makes and sense. also like it almost would make sense like it it happens at transitory periods because obviously birth is a pretty big transitory period, and then. You know, the next, like, major, like, life-changing thing where the po- I can see the powers, like, re-emerging is obviously uh, having her, you know, first first period in menstruation and, like, the quote-unquote, like, move to adulthood and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I don't I, – I, I think that almost works that you could say that those powers weren't present because it happens – during it and there's no indication the power is going to be there permanently i don't know yeah i don't Um, i don't see it as something that she's necessarily had her whole life because obviously you know after the menstruation that's when she starts to kind of figure out what it is and how to harness it but there's i've watched this movie a few times also being threatened both times too yes one one by her mom and one by this uh you know group of uh peers yeah these teens but um but there's so, – I've watched this movie a few times and the more I've seen it, there's something about the way the baby is moving that leads me to feel like, okay, the, there, there, is, there is something supernatural happening here. It's not just her choice. And she might tell herself, oh, it was my choice to not kill my baby. She might – you know, Margaret might be able to convince herself that it was something else, but there's there's a – I, I'm convinced that there's some sort of supernatural element at play in that opening. Can we talk? So I don't know if I saw something else in this movie that I'm picking up on that's not there, but it also felt like this movie has kind of a little bit of a metaphor, uh, allegory about uh, like date rape. Hmm. Say more. It's not huge, 
But the way that they keep pressuring Carrie to say yes to go to the prom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When oh. when he is like, when she is like, I don't want to, please don't do this. And in his mind, both of them keep going, uh, both Ansel uh, Eggman and... Uh, Anvil Egbert. Ansel Egbert. Um, and uh, Cuckoo Cachoo. <laughs> <laughs> do the same jokes. We'll just go through the whole thing each time. Um, and then, I'm, what's what's his girlfriend's name? I forget. Rachel? Sue? Sue Snow? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ami and Sue. Okay. So, they both think they like are doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They have good intentions. You know, they're like, hey, I'm just trying to, you know, trying to show you a good time. We think this is what you need. And, like, they just keep pressuring her. We'll go back, pressure her again. And it, it felt especially obvious when he says the line, when she's like, can you just leave me alone? Like, yeah. he says, a lot of girls change their minds. Yeah. Um, which felt pretty on the nose. And, <laughs> and again, it's a gross it, line. Yeah. And it, it is a gross line, but it does feel like it's like, I want to make sure that, like, you're picking up what we're doing here. Because, again, I think it's going to the same themes, which is that we just talked about with Julianne Moore, where – in her mind, she is actually do- – she is doing the right thing. She is trying to help her daughter even though those acts are horrifically abusive and damaging. And here you have Tommy and Sue who think they're doing the right thing. They think they're trying to help their friend that – or uh, trying to help someone that they've hurt in some way. They, In their minds, they have nothing but the best intentions, which is what a lot of people who are date rapists say. Like, oh, look, we just I thought we were just going out and having a good time. I thought they were enjoying it, all these other things. Instead, of course, she finally gives in. She finally says yes. And what happens at that prom? Yep. Her entire life gets ruined. No one ever bothers to ask her what she wants. In any exactly. given situation, no one ever asks her what she wants to do, what would make her happy. And yeah, I, I think that you're completely right about that. Yeah, there's the, the the concept of will and consent is an interesting way to look at the an interesting scope to look at this movie because she doesn't get any. Does she do anything she really like wants wants to do until the murder scene that like was her idea and someone else to, didn't pressure her into? She wants to experiment with her powers. I yeah, think she's she, oh, yeah, she's she enjoys she enjoys that and the one playing with I, the flag and I guess like yeah. the one the one scene where someone actually helps her you know get what she wants is when that guy in the library is like you know oh like here's how you can watch like the video in full screen or something when she's watching yeah. like the telekinesis video on YouTube or whatever and that that's the the one moment where someone like recognizes a thing that she's interested in and helps her. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's super funny because like that does make you endear yourself to her i think a little more even than sissy spacek which sissy spacek like is a great of an actress as she is and how great no the movie you is aaron said scared animal and i think that there is truth in that like there is a sort of more of a um more of a pity than a sympathy well, mm-hmm. And almost a fra- fragility, like where you're like you recognize it. Like she's girl. she's wearing her abuse on the outside a lot. Yes. yes, I need to protect this girl more than I hope this girl makes it. Whereas with Chloe Grace Moretz, the the difference is I'm like you're gonna do just fine, assuming no one pulls a horrific trick on you, and they do. 
Like, yeah. The, this movie feels like a true tragedy because of that, that what happens, because you're like, it easily could have not happened. There's even a moment when they tug on the, the bucket and it doesn't give. And you're like, and for a second, you're like, forget what movie you're watching. You're like, oh, maybe everything's going to be okay. Maybe this time it works out for her. <laughs> yeah, they should remake Carrie, but have her remake Carrie, but have the bucket never fall. And she has oh. a great night with with Tommy. And then she has to like learn, like, you know, Tommy was just, Tommy's just her friend. And, you know, Tommy's actually in love with Sue. And then she gets to find a boyfriend who wasn't guilted into pursuing her. Maybe she but doesn't find anyone. But they can still talk about poetry platonically. Yeah. <laughs> and then she sits down with her mom. It's like, mom. Look, I understand what you're going through. I have a little present. It's called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. <laughs> you should read it. She changes um, her name to Miss Honey. She yep. moves to a new town, adopts they, a little girl named Matilda. Yeah. They all appear on Bill Maher. <laughs> I think wait, she, why is it getting worse? I think oh, she wait. probably stays religious, but not that degree of religion. I think she finds some like liberal Christian community to be a part of or something. Yeah, there's the what's how far does the whiplash go for her? Like, does she become like an an annoying like internet atheist in college, or does she like, or does she like just kind of just kind of become like kind of a mainstream evangelical Christian? Yeah. I think it's really tough to put to figure that out because like I don't know how anyone's interaction with religion becomes if they have magic powers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Like um, you're like you might be more religious because you're like. Well, I believe someone someone could walk on water because I can also do that. <laughs> All these stories don't seem as uh, crazy to me anymore. And, and as a matter of fact, I might as well be leading my own cult here because I clearly am part of that lineage. Um, so, you never know. If you think about it from a prophetic point of view also, like – she could, yeah, she could be a Christ or an Antichrist, and I don't think the movie is hinting at that she's either of those things, but the, I love the idea that they play with in this movie, and they play with it a lot more than in the original, is, and I have, we've been harping on it for like 10 minutes now, but like, I do love the idea that this power is a neutral force. Yeah. Um, this witchhood that she has, I guess, I guess the terms to best interpret it from would be like, you know, like almost witch powers. This witchhood is a neutral power and she can use it either way. Uh, and very much like if this were like a superhero origin thing, like her choosing to be a good person um, as opposed to an evil person would be her, you know, Dr. X versus Magneto moment, right? But exactly. she doesn't have anybody to guide her except for crazy people and maybe abusive people and people that she misunderstands because of all the abuse she's got rolling around. I don't know if Mr. X has an MD or a PhD, <laughs> but he goes by Professor. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I haven't watched an X-Men movie in a while. I just um, remember Patrick Stewart. Uh, let's, uh, be, be, as we, uh, this is definitely one of those movies and uh, guests that we could talk about, uh, talk about this movie probably for the next two hours, but because I definitely want to give us some space before we get into final scenes, I think it makes sense to talk about uh, the ending and the ending differences. Yes. Um, <laughs> because uh so uh the other thing that uh carrie sent to watch is kind of um kimberly pierce talking at the what was it exactly the afi it was it was like an afi uh workshop women for directors. women in directing yeah. yeah okay she gave the and keynote she, address and she says that she talked to De Palma and was like hey i'd like to remake the movie and uh the palma's uh first thing was like great you can do that what are you gonna do about the ending 
And what he's referring to is what I think was the biggest thing on my mind when I watched this movie. Because in the original Carrie, they go to the grave and the hand bursts out to the and grabs her friend's hand or her classmate's hand. I forget what their relationship was. And it is like considered maybe the most iconic jump scare in movie. It's famously something that wasn't in Stephen King's book and he jumped out of his seat seeing it. It is effective. It was effective when I watched it. I imagine that if you showed that to anyone, you, it would be effective even if they had never seen the movie before and even though they had seen similar jump scares before. So, of course, the problem in this movie is you can't do the same thing because it's definitely not going to be scary if a hand bursts out of the grave. And instead, what they do is they have the grave crack, which is not scary at all. When I saw this, I wasn't like disappointed with that. I was kind of like... Okay, I get it. You know you're not going to be able to do the same thing. So you just have a similar thing like maybe she's still alive. We're not trying to jump scare you, but we'll keep kind of the the question mark ending. And Carrie, if you don't mind, if you'd like to describe what the original ending was and how much it fucking rules, I will turn it over to you. So the original ending, this is the ending that Kimberly Pierce always wanted it to be, um, is uh, Sue goes to visit the grave. Um, I think someone's vandalized it and then it cuts to uh, she's giving birth. Um, you know, we've already found out a couple scenes before that she's pregnant. Uh, she's in labor and uh, it's a very violent, painful, bloody labor. And then all of a sudden, Carrie's adult hand reaches out of Sue's body and grabs her. And then Sue wakes up from this nightmare, still pregnant Um Similar to to the scene where Amy Irving wakes up from the nightmare of seeing Carrie's hand come out of the grave and is comforted by her mother. And that's the end of the movie. It's so much better. It's so good. good. It's so good. And even watching it on my phone, devoid from the context of the rest of the movie, because I watched it tonight and I watched the movie like on Sunday, it made me like jump a little bit. Like, probably not as much if I've been watching it, like, at the very tail end of a full movie on a big screen, but, like, it's that effective. And and I think it would be a special achievement for anyone to come up with a good jump scare at the end of Carrie, a remake of Carrie, and the fact that they blew it out of the water and it's um, a DVD extra is really disappointing. And um, she kind of explains on the AFI talk why that is. Yeah, she, you know, she was inspired by a similar scene in uh, Lars von Trier's The Kingdom. And have was, you seen that? I haven't, but I'm a little curious now. Is, is yeah, How is that uh, scene? It, so it's, uh, he, she mentions it's a face. It's Udo, uh, Udo Kier. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Udo Kier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have I have seen the first season of The Kingdom. I think that happens at the very end. Uh, I've not got around to the second one yet, but. Famous uh, German yeah, weirdo. It, yeah, it is uh, – It's as she described, she watched it and went, oh, my God, this is crazy. We should do something like this. And she is right. It is fucking crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, so she, Even- so she brings this idea into the pitch meeting and she's talking about it with the executives and she's, you know, a, a, presumably the one woman in this room and all of the men are just obsessed with like, well, how are you going to shoot that? Because you can't shoot that without showing a vagina. And she's like completely perplexed by this question. And she's like, look, I've been shooting sex scenes, rape scenes, genital scenes, all kinds of scenes my whole career. You know, I'm a lesbian. And yet somehow I've never felt compelled to put a camera in front of a vagina. 
Like, that's not <laughs> just, just not a thing that I've ever considered doing. So why would we have to do it here? So she storyboards it and everything to try to make them comfortable with it. And like the men can't even say vagina in the meeting. And she's telling this story as a way of showing like, you know, she's speaking at this directing talk for women, like, okay, here's the bullshit that you're going to have to deal with when you're in the industry. But it's kind of also, I think, a a brief glimpse into what she personally had to deal with when making this movie in general, which is an extremely female-driven movie, and the idea that their discomfort played some role in the film kind of being a little bit more toned down or edited or made glossier or something, you know, it, it's it's a little disheartening to see that this visionary director who I've, you know, Boys Don't Cry was a formative movie for me. Like, she has, she's a very talented, interesting artist. And it's amazing that she got the, the power and ability that she did to make this movie. But there were still people standing in the way. Yeah. yeah and 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 she was um she was 100% right too. Like there's the the shrug that this movie ends with like is fine if you're like we have nothing to we're not even going to try to go up against that ending. And that's what I thought. And they did. And Kimberly Pierce was 100% right. And yeah, it may have been a little polarizing, but like it would have been polarizing in the best way where people would be like you know, a, a horror movie's estimation can go up because of an amazing ending. Yeah. Like, it's the type of thing, especially in this genre, where people go, just wait till you get to the ending. And everything else up to the, like, that last, the third act is so good. We haven't even talked about, like, uh, some of those moments of, like, uh, the car through the windshield. or oh, the oh, yes. Sorry, the face through the windshield, which is just this, like brutal type of uh, death that I don't think I've ever seen on, on screen before. Even just the cinematic, like, scope of the car speeding away and, like, flames bursting out of the sewers and, like, how terrifying it is. Like, she is very good at directing the horror of this movie, but it doesn't have a exciting ending. It doesn't have something that people talk about in groups like ours where they're like, yeah, what about that ending? Which... If this had been the end, if that, if the original ending had been the ending to the movie, I could see people like us to talk about movies. It would be the first thing that we would ask someone. Absolutely. After they saw Carrie, they'd go, how about that ending? I mean, I, I've, I've seen so many people say like, oh, you know, the Pierce version is a shot for shot remake of the De Palma version, which A, is not true remotely. Um, yeah. But B... If it, if that original ending had stayed intact, no one would say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually have a note that like, why did people say this was a shot for shot? Like, there is so much stuff. There are so many differences. Um, what else didn't we get a chance to talk about? I am dying to talk about Portia Doubleday as Chris. Oh yeah, because I love her. She is She's so good. like deliciously, deliciously evil. Yeah. And I love that they give her, like, a spray tan. Yeah. And, like, she's, she goes, I love how believable she is as an asshole and how she, like, she seems to corrupt everyone around her. Oh, yeah. And I love the social pressure that goes down, like, because at the beginning of the movie, the tampon scene unravels uh, very differently compared to in this than the original. 
And the original, they, they just kind of like the girls just all snap and go rabbit and go after after Carrie. And this, there's like a build up, but Portia Doubleday is just like jacked up about the idea of torturing this girl, whereas the other girls kind of need like some warm up time. Yeah. It's it's so it's so wonderful because it also lets you know who has a target painted on their back at the beginning of the movie. I also, even though I disagree with her reasons, I like that she was uh, trying to form a union in the school. <laughs> like, guys, if we all quit, nothing they can do. Like, let's band together. She's a real Norma um, Ray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, again, bad reason to be able to mock and post terrible abusive videos to someone online but you know let's let's not remember the reason why people start unions two two scenes of her that i really love one is when she gets called in the principal's office with her father after the oh. cell phone video is oh, leaked yeah. i kind of love that because it's kind of like a a mirror of seeing carrie with her mom seeing chris with her dad you're like oh i know why you are the way you are like, you are yeah. from this, like, asshole privileged family where you can just, like, throw around, you know, status and money and whatever and get whatever you want. But he kind of does want her to just, like, come forward or get it over with. And she is so firm in her conviction that she won't give up the phone. And I just the, the, the tension in that scene, I just love so much. Um and then I love that in the pig slaughtering scene, she's actually an active participant in it. Because I'm pretty sure in the original, you know, she's along for the ride and, and you know, it's the guys that are so active. But she's like, she's clearly the mastermind uh, of the whole thing in this version, which I love. Yeah. And, and I, I, it feels like she manipulates her boyfriend, even though at the end the boyfriend is like, no, we're doing this. We're already here. And like, oh, we're getting out of town. It feels like she like it, at, at the beginning is like it was her idea all along. And I love that scene with her and her boyfriend because she basically he's trying to impress her by doing it. Yep. Which is probably the reason that a lot of other girls joined in the harassment early on is they want to impress like the cool girls. She's so charismatic. I mean, why would you not want to impress her? She's like it's it, it makes sense that she would be someone who would be that popular. Yeah, uh, the pig killing scene was a great addition because it's it's very much about like how it takes a considerable amount of social pressure to get people to do horrible things because the first kid that tries it fails. Yeah. Um, anything else before we, we go to final thoughts? Good movie. I was very surprised by the fact that it was good and that I liked it considering I'm a huge fan of the original and um, I'm so glad that Carrie is someone who I, I trust a lot brought carry on brought double Yay. case yeah she brought herself on too peter <laughs> you think of it that way yeah i'm so glad that carrie brought carrie and carry on <laughs> thank you all for the carries carry on Car yeah carry on carry is <laughs> oh fuck we love to watch presents that carry on carry okay yeah. <laughs> so when i um some years some years ago i thought that it would be really fun and gimmicky if I started a blog where I blogged my way through Sex in the City, and I Ooh. called it, and I called it Carry on Carry, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I'm gonna pitch a sequel to that. You do the same thing, but you do it as in character 
as Carrie from this movie, yep. learning about sex for the first time <laughs> from Sex in the City. So it's Carrie on Carrie on Carrie. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll work in Carrie Fisher somehow. Yeah. Or yeah. or uh, you talking about um, London during the Blitzkrieg and it will be uh, Carrie on Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> And the entire time you're blogging, you're actually holding your computer, so it'll be carry carries, carry on carry on carry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah not many people's names here. are a verb, so you gotta get yeah. homonyms, guys. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I I was kind of, like I said, I think, I don't even know, Carrie, if you were one of the people in the group that at some point a couple years ago was like, hey, the Carrie remake's really good. And that thing kind of stays with you to the point that, like I said, I added to my watch list and I picked it up when it was on sale. I'm so glad I did. Uh, and I'm also glad I saved watching it uh, to be able to talk about this episode because this was such a great uh, ending to our to our month and uh, a movie that I hope, you know, I... My my real hope for this episode especially, like, I feel like Ravenous and the Babadook have a lot of people that, you know, uh, have seen it and like it. And it's it's kind of a – those movies are naturally kind of evangelical by nature. Uh, Freddy's Dead is like this. Hey, it's a, it's a, it's not as bad as you would think for the ending of the series. It's really has some interesting things to say. And it doesn't – it doesn't it's, – it's good and it doesn't get as much shit as it really – it really gets. And this one I think is probably one that – my guess is that the most people have passed over, so I really hope that people take a second look and give this one a shot because this this really is a good uh you know good remakes of iconic movies are not easy, and even though this could have been even better with the ending mm-hmm. uh this is a very good remake of an iconic movie yeah i am I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to talk about it here i you know. Um, as maybe you could guess, um, if if you grow up being named Carrie, you get like <laughs> jokes about your name at various points in time. Oh, don't go to prom. So like I, you know, I, I I've had this character in this story close to me for a lot of my life, and this particular iteration, I would say this this version of the movie and the um, also. Uh, much criticized uh, Carrie musical adaptation are the two that I kind of love the most for various <laughs> reasons. Um, and yeah, and it's 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 a film that is pretty special to me, and I am sad that there aren't more opportunities to kind of delve into what makes it so great. So I'm really grateful and appreciative that you are willing to have me on to chat about it. Of course, and and we, if we haven't said it enough, I I cannot underline enough how grateful and appreciative you, uh, we are for you to put this whole month together. It really, we haven't said it much um, on any of the episodes because we were probably saving it to embarrass you here. But uh, really, the way that we were able to do this without any involvement for uh, for from us. Um, where we didn't know the guests, we didn't know the movies until uh, until the time was where they were decided was something that was very exciting for us. And the only way we were able to do that was with uh, Carrie taking time out to kind of create a poll and a system and monitor it and give us the results. And I know that's a lot of uh, a lot of time out of your day to devote um, to to something like this. And we. Um, we're so appreciative. It was it was awesome. The month was more than we could have hoped. 
And again, we can't wait to kind of repeat this concept again in the future. Yay! Possibly with your help again. Yay! Yeah, it was super fun. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the show and I'm grateful to be able to give back and help out however I can. So thank you for letting me have that opportunity. Aaron already said all the technical thank yous, but yeah, you're just uh, <laughs> you're just a, a joy, and we're so happy we met you, and that you could uh, you could be a part of all this fun. So Yay. thank you so much for coming on, Carrie. Of course, um, Carrie, what do you have to promote? So I, for the last nine months, have been working as an archival researcher on a series called. Let me bring up the full title: Enemies. President, Justice, and the FBI. Um, so I can't tell you a whole lot about this show. It's a four-part documentary miniseries, but it's a show about the President, Justice, and the FBI. So, you know, I will let you uh, take your mind as it, as it goes and think about how maybe this is a relevant topic to be exploring right now. Um, it's going to be on Showtime. <laughs> it premieres on November 18th at 8 p.m. Um, please watch it. I have given my life to it for the last nine months. And uh, yeah, I am honestly really proud to have been involved with it. So I hope that you watch and enjoy it. Yeah, I'm excited just to hear how it's relevant to today's. It seems like um, things I don't really <laughs> hear about all that often. But, yeah, it sounds like a know, I feel like it's a mystery box. Like, how is this applicable in your day-to-day -day life? And I'm excited to find out. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. What, as we, as we close out Ladies Fright Night, and we say thank you to the wonderful women who have been a part of it, what are we going to wrap the end of the month up with? Uh, well, we're going to wrap the end of the month up with three movies, Peter. Much like our other Halloween specials where we're like, hey, instead of watching one movie, what if we d do more? Um, that's the concept that we've worked out is what so, we're saying. That's a confident <laughs> pitch right there. That's Yeah. What if more? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, so we're not just doing a movie. We're not just doing two movies. We're doing three. Four movies. No, three. <laughs> You went too far. Peter, come back. <laughs> I can barely see you from where okay, you I'll are. Reel it in. I'll reel it in. Okay, right, try again. Okay. One, two, four. God, God damn it. So uh, close. Counting flash so close. I know. I, you know what? I bought the flashcards for counting for Peter for his birthday last year. And I'm like, you know, he's 28-ish. I'm just going to use these on my daughter. And I clearly made a, poor, a really bad mistake because she <laughs> is nailing counting. <laughs> Once again, another example. You know, Peter's not math's not everyone's strong suit. Anyways, we're doing. Wait, how old is she? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had her first birthday. We've had her second birthday. We've had her third birthday. <laughs> and we're on the next one, Peter. You get to say it and be right. Four. Yay! Oh, finally! Yay! What are we watching? Uh, Halloween, Halloween, and Halloween two. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me do it again. Halloween, Halloween, and Halloween 2. <laughs> well, that's not confusing at all. I don't ah. see why anyone would be confused about what we're watching, and we will not elaborate more. Uh, no. And may your spooktobers be spooky. Yeah, someone's going to be looking on Amazon like, uh, okay, so I think they're watching a movie called Halloween, Halloween, Halloween 2. <laughs> uh, Halloween also. Halloween as well. <laughs> Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, and then we're moving into November. 
Peter, you named the theme. Why don't you announce the theme? And there's no numbers in the title, so I think you're going to nail it. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme for November is going to be the family that eats together. It's going to be entirely about cannibal families. Families that, you know, decide to share a meal together to celebrate the American holiday of Thanksgiving when we all go home and um, presumably eat with our families. I don't know, dude. Uh, but yeah, we just, we we just, have, we just yeah. want to talk about a few of them. We, that, yeah. that was the theme. Yeah. We want to talk about yeah. Campbell movies. And yeah. So we are also. If you think about it, it's American holiday. And right now, America is cannibalizing itself. Oh, boy. That's so relevant. political. Topical. So maybe. Yeah. Um, but also, we just want to talk about our first movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We, um, uh, we didn't want to do any more Kill Billy months, which meant that uh, we had to find another month to fit Texas Chainsaw Massacre into. Uh, it is definitely. weird, as, we, as we've said on a couple episodes now, to do Halloween followed by Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which... Um, yeah, feels like just, uh, as you said, Peter, just blowing through the inventory on the old video game character. <laughs> uh, uh, and then we are doing uh, Raw with Joey Lee, who was one of the other – that was actually her pick, as we talked about in that episode, for um, for Ladies' Fright Night. But since we already were planning on doing it, we uh, were able to add another movie to this month. So we're very – that is uh, – we've recorded the rest of these episodes. So that's a very good episode. We're very excited for everyone to hear. And then Spider Baby and Blood Diner. Ooh. Yeah. So we actually have two horror movies directed by women next month. Um, so the theme continues and we will find another excuse to dive back into this topic in the future because it was super fun. Yeah. And we have a long list yeah. of, of movies to, to circle back in. And we had some other people who I know um, suggested a few that we just couldn't get to because of how many Tuesdays there are in October. But uh, I would be more than happy to circle back on this again next year. Excellent. So, uh, yeah. Without for, So I guess that is the end of Ladies Fright Night and as we have modeled the name after uh, <laughs> after the movie Fright Night and uh, a very common uh, bar thing called uh, Ladies Night. <laughs> uh, I guess it, it is last call. It's closing time uh, and probably we'll play Semi-Sonic or something here. I guess <laughs> I guess we'll love that. <laughs> that's fun for everyone. <laughs> yeah, everyone like that's a good semi sonic, pretty good band, actually. Um, and with that, I, I bid you all <laughs> I can't bid them a good spooktober. Uh know who Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you all know who wants to take you home. Good night. Good night. One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time You don't have to go home But you can't stay here I know who want to take me home I know who want to take me home I know who want to take me home Take me folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch 
or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.